stay true to what you believe in and who you are as a designer and as an entrepreneur because only then will something become successful. Hi, and welcome to another episode of South Asian Stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I chat with Sunny Delilah. Sunny is a British fashion designer and founder of Delilah's Dressing Room. She focuses on creating functional designs and bespoke accessories for men, women, and children. Last year, Sunny invented a long beard mask to protect men with long beards and those who wore religious headwear such as turbans during the COVID-19 pandemic. Her design and invention was praised on a global scale as well as aired on news stations worldwide including BBC, CNN, Sky, Metro, ITV, and more. In this conversation, we discuss a lot, including Sunny's favorite memory growing up and her identity being Sikh and British. The amazing story of Sunny's father-in-law inspired her to create a beard mask, which ended up on display at the Birmingham Museum of Art and Galleries. How Sunny took the plunge to start Delilah's dressing room and how she navigated through the highs and lows of owning her own small business. Sunny is an absolute creative force and just delightful to chat with. She left me feeling energized and excited about the impact of inclusive design on this world. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Sunny Delilah. Sunny, welcome to South Asian Stories. We are so delighted to have you on. Hi, Samir. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, for for everyone listening, we were talking before. Uh, Sunny has been uh, having a, a busy weekend, and she's been able to carve some time out from us. You know, I live in Dallas, and, and she lives in the UK, so the time zones have been a little bit wonky. But we've made it work, and and we're excited to chat everything from beginning to end. So let's start at the at the very beginning, Sunny. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, what was it like, and uh, you know how South Asian your family was? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I'll just start. I'm, I'm 33, so I'm going to go try and think back now. <laughs> um, so, I was born in Birmingham, England, and uh, born into a British Sikh family. And I pretty much had free reigns as a kid, to be honest, because I was the first grandchild to be born on both sides of the family. Nice. So you can imagine <laughs> just a bit kind of like how my son is now, um, that I was pretty spoiled uh, as a kid, as my mom likes to say, um, in terms of everybody wanted my attention because I was the only kid around. <laughs> and yeah, and I pretty much probably lapped it all up as well. And um, yeah, and it was just me on my own for four years. So I didn't have any other siblings or cousins or anyone for, yeah, so for the first four years of my life. So I had pretty much whatever I wanted when I wanted, apparently. Right, right. Um, And yeah, it was, I guess, fun. I kind of, I also, but one of the things that it did actually um, have an impact on was the fact that I grew up very quickly. So I... When I went to primary school, yeah, it was primary school when my sister was born. 
And it was only then, so after four years, that my siblings started um, coming and my cousins started arriving. <laughs> and it was just like, okay, so I kind of took on that elderly role with everybody. And I think it was literally within one year, there were six babies born that wow. were like all in this, like we all, at this point, we all used to live together. So there was my grandma so my dad's mom there was my dad and my mom me there was my dad's eldest brother and his wife and also my dad's younger brother and his wife (laughs) yeah and his wife and then my dad's youngest brother so you can imagine it was a full house yeah um and it was great to be honest because it was all there was, it was always lively. There's always something going on, but then everyone had children at the same time, <laughs> and then it was like all these kids popped up. And because I was the only one that was elder, I kind of like grew up very quickly. Sure. And because I was around adults all the time, first off, um, you know that obviously had a an impact on me. And then I was the you know the older kid that helped look after all the children as well. Yeah. So. It was, I guess, it was a very challenging childhood. Um, eventually, you know, one by one, I think each family started moving out of one house because it just got too empowering with all the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think by the end, there was um, how many of us? There was me, my brother, my sister. I think there was a, a good, like, eight children in the house. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and did you find, you know, growing up with a big family, um, Sikh family, were you struggling or how did you approach your identity being Sikh, British, you know, the combo of the two? Because for some of the guests we've chatted with, identity is a big thing, especially if, you, if, you're, if you're split. Did that ever, you know, something that you thought about actively or how did you, how did you deal with that? Yeah. So I think growing up, you know, when I was younger, I'd say more so when I was in, um, I don't know if you have it the same, but junior school. So from when you're, I think it's age seven upwards. Mm -hmm. um, I guess because I also grew up in a neighborhood, an area which was predominantly white. And I think there was only my family and one other family that were Asian. Mm -hmm. And so... For me personally, I think I struggled with being open and free, you know, dressing in my own, you know, the way my culture does and, you know, being Indian as such in front of them. Yeah. So, you know, I think I was pretty much more influenced by, you know, by the people and my peers at school and, you know, the the neighborhood that I was in. Um, don't get me wrong, you know, I we still I still went to the Godwara, you know, with my family <laughs> and you know, I I was still actively involved in all the fun and everything that we do culturally at home. But then I always found like I then was completely different when I was then at school mm-hmm. or with my friends because I don't know whether it's just that age where you just feel like you have to fit in. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's only really, I guess, when I, you know, actually grew up. Um, you know, and was into my teens that you become, I suppose, like proud of who you are right. uh, and where you come from. Right. Was there a, a memory, Sunny, that sticks out to you, like a favorite memory that you have growing up that 
um, that that you can describe of of what it was like living in your family? Oh my god, so many! Uh, I have to think. Let me, let me think of a good one. <laughs> um, my favorite memory. It could be in your neighborhood or at the gurdwara, or just. We would love to just know what was a peak in in the life of uh, you know you you were growing up and um, because the, the the what we see is um, people could have on paper the similar lives but when you drill down to the stories it can it could be different so anything that you could share would be would would be wonderful. Yeah, actually, one memory that does stick out um, now that you mention it is when we used to have you know within the UK when we used to do like a family trip down to the beach, the seaside. Um, and I remember this one distinctly because I, as a kid, I was just like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. But at the same time, it was the most fun I think I'd ever had. And it was, there must've been like the entire family and we'd all gone down to the seaside and we'd gone in a van, you know, like I have this <laughs> yeah, long van. Yeah. And there was only like seats in the front naturally. So there was only like three people sat in front and everyone else was like sat in the back. And I just remember like, you know, my grandma had like packed all the food, right. like we had like everything there. And it was literally when we put, um, got to the seaside and you open up the door and it's just like one by one, like another person was like a clown out. car. <laughs> and it was like, oh my God, like what is this? But at the same time, I just remember sitting in the back and then everyone kind of like falling on each other and just it was just fun. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, right. growing up, I was always around family and always around um everybody really. I loved spending time with them. And naturally, because I grew up with a big family, you know, we did a lot of things together. So for me, I guess, yeah, that was a, a great memory that obviously now we can laugh about. And obviously at the time was not safe, yeah. but we talk about it now. That, that's wonderful. And I feel like I have the same experience of people packing chutney sandwiches because they didn't want to pay for things on the road. And I feel th- those kind of stories are similar. Uh, if you're South Asian, you, you have vivid, vivid memories of, of, of big cars, lots of family and lots of food. Um, but l- let's keep going. How... how um, you know, where did you go from there? Um, it's, from your background, it looked like you you did your master's degree in design at the University of Leeds. Were you always interested um, in fashion design and design, or was that something that happened later in life? The honest answer is yes. So from from the get go, I've always loved art. I always always loved textiles. They were the classes at school that I always excelled in and gave the most attention to. Um, you know, when I was in secondary school, so high school, um, you know, they were my favorite subjects. And as soon as there was an opportunity to opt in to do fashion within art and design and within textiles, it was my number one go to. And my parents were really good. I think like from the generation that, you know, I'm from and how I grew up, I guess I was quite lucky that my parents didn't stop me from wanting to go for what I enjoyed doing so it was never a case of okay you have to do maths you have to do science you have to do you know specific subjects because you've got to be this this or that when you grow up it was you know they allowed they nurtured me really that allowed me to take the subjects that made me happy and made me want to go to school I guess um because if you're comfortable and you're happy you're going to excel in whatever subject you do right right Right. Because you're going to put all your effort into it because you're doing what you're passionate about. 
Um, and so, yeah, I've always had a love for designing, for, you know, being creative more than anything. And so I, yes, I studied it at school. And then when it was time to go to college, I made the decision that I didn't want to do um, um, what you do at uh, 16 to 18 um, with your normal subjects. I only wanted to study a BTEC, like National Diploma in Fashion and Clothing. So I did that for two years. And my mom and dad, they supported it because they knew that my route was I want to go to university. I want to study fashion and design. I want to be a designer. That was just basically what I kind of had in me from the get go. So I was very kind of blinkers on. This is what I'm doing. And I'm so glad that I did because I really enjoyed my time, you know, studying because I was doing what I loved. And, you know, it just allowed me to express myself how I wanted to express myself, I guess. And yeah, then I went on to university and studied fashion design for three years and I still hadn't had enough. So I ended up going back and doing my <laughs> master's in design as well. So I wasn't quite head. done with uni. I wasn't quite done with studying. I wanted to do more. And then I almost got to the point where my head of school at university was like, you may as well just stay on and do your PhD now um, and take it that next level. But I was, at this point, I was like, OK, I've been here five years, no, four years now. I think I'm done. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it's pretty much always been my passion. And um, as you got more and more into your career, as you got more education, did your interest in design change at all? Or were, were they always focused on on the same creative pursuits? Um, I guess as I've got older, it's evolved. Like yeah. um, I, I like to try different things to see kind of what my hand is like at it. And yeah. I guess, you know, initially and naturally I was first off drawn to, you know, women's wear. Mm. And I loved, you know, designing women's clothes and making women's clothes. And then I took a hand at doing some innovation and creating um, kids, kids' accessories uh, and play outfits that you could multi-way use. And then that kind of got me thinking into, you know, maybe I look at, you know, being a kids' wear designer. And then from there, I went into, you know, trying my hand at menswear. So I wanted to see kind of what I enjoyed and what I didn't. So I know as a designer kind of where I sit. Yeah. Um, because you study all all of the remits, so you are fully rounded um, as a fashion designer, and you can understand functionality, for example. And it was, I guess, kind of in my mid twenties that I then realised that it, it, you know, as a fashion designer, I I, I loved it, but I, I found like a new found love for accessories Mm -hmm. and designing accessories. So I'd gone from clothing to accessories, but for women, men and children. Um, And and that's kind of what I've evolved and grown with over the past six years now. That is amazing. And I think that shows the power of how versatile you are of being able to switch to different types of mediums, like fashion design, accessories, men, women, kids. Um, And then each of that you you know, you take what you learned in and you, and you hone it to, to what you're doing now. And I'd love to, um, t- can you tell us the story of Deliza's dressing room? Can you take us all the way from the beginning? Was there a spark of an idea or was it something that it evolved into what you were doing just on, on the side? Like, can you tell us that story? Sure. Um, 
this story is it always takes me back. So initially, when I had graduated, I'm going to take you right back to the beginning, right? Yes, please. Um, so when I had graduated, at first it took me quite a while to find a fashion design job um, that was one in this country (laughs) and two I was I was so adamant that I wanted to move to London because that's the the fashion capital of the UK obviously so I was like I need to be in that remit Um, and I actually after a long time got offered a job working for um, Burberry I'm guessing you've heard of the brand Burberry right yeah and it was at an entry graduate level and it wasn't until that you know started going over how much it was going to cost for me to live there and you know pay for rent and then move down there and you know travel to work that it was working out more for me to be there than what my salary was going to be <laughs> and i was just like i don't want to move all the way to london to kill myself working right. 24/7 and having no social life and just not being able to do anything but go to work and back um and my parents were just like Sunny you're just not going to enjoy it because you're just going to be constantly you know ha- you, we're going to have to get another job as well to yeah. be able to fund everything um you know and my parents had already helped me out through university so I didn't want to you know rely on them to have to pay me to go to work <laughs> ultimately <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up having to turn that job down and I think it was a little while longer. I did interviews after interviews after interviews and I just felt like I was literally getting nowhere and couldn't understand why. I was like, is it just me when I'm in interviews? Am I not coming across well? Because I had such an, like, I, I, I did have a great portfolio and I always got you know great feedback on them, but I just wasn't getting the jobs. It was mm. like the competition was so high you know, the, back then, so we're talking um, 2010. Yeah, so around 2010, this is 2011, those, those years. And it was just, yeah, I just found it really difficult. Then eventually I did get a job working as a menswear designer and I loved it, absolutely loved it. And this was in Manchester. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't too far from where I was. So I was able to commute from um, from Leeds which is where I live, like, which is where I am now. And I worked there for around a year and then realized quite quickly that I was doing a lot more than what my job description was and wasn't getting the the payback for it, I guess, um, or the recognition for it. And I just felt like, why should I be doing all of this for somebody else? Right. Um, and so I kind of took the decision to leave and then I was back to like, okay, square one, like, what am I doing now? And by fluke, I was actually, um, I got a job working in a completely different field. So I ended up going into technology and working with Google and a Google partner. I know you're probably thinking like, how did you make that switch? <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> um, and it was something that was like I was interested in, I was fascinated, but at the same time was like out of my comfort zone. And it was um, it was really funny, actually, because when I did the interview, they actually had asked me, have you worked for Google before? 
And I was like, no, they're like, I just, because I basically, when I put my, set my mind to something, I thoroughly kind of do my research. I make sure that I know everything properly. Right. Right. And I really put my everything into this interview and we had to do a presentation and a talk about Google and what it was that the the job entailed. So this was looking at the the software that Google provide, which is the, you know, the Google for work uh, mm-hmm. platform. So, you know, yeah. using Gmail docs or drive and all that kind of stuff. But, this job, where I was um, applying for, was to work within the retail side of it. So, how you would implement the infrastructure into fashion and retail houses? Because as someone who was a designer that worked, um, you know, on paper, and then having to hand to like you know, send your changes to another department, and then it would take ages before you got it back. And you know, I knew how the infrastructure worked currently, and I knew there could be something better to be done. And so it got my attention in the sense of like something like this would really change how everybody works and how everyone connects and communicates and right. you can work so much more efficiently. So I was really interested in it and I love technology. Um, short, long story short, so I got the job. <laughs> um, and I worked there for three and a bit years and it was pretty much a male dominated environment. Yeah, right. There was me and one other girl in my office um and did you enjoy it like being, yeah being I loved it no, I lo- what you studied yeah I did love it I mean it took me a little while to kind of just find my feet mm-hmm. and then I absolutely loved it because I was passionate I became passionate about what it was that I was doing you know working with other retail brands and then helping them to work more efficient and communicate better because I've been in the, their position where I could have done with that yeah um and I did enjoy it and because I also because I worked on you know within the projects of implementing them and then on sales it got to a point where I was just kind of really missing the creative side of me and I felt like I kind of maybe sold my soul (laughs) I guess is the right way to put it so I don't know. I just felt like something was missing. I was no longer, you know, enjoying the job that I was doing day to day. And I just found myself kind of like wondering and thinking about other things and not giving my hundred percent. And then also then my performance was dropping as well. Mm-hmm. And then when I started realizing, you know, I took a step back and was just kind of reflecting on it myself. I realized it was because I'm so used to being creative and so used to just having my hand to paper and you know designing and doing something and I'd been without it for so long that my, I was just like, yearning for it yeah. um and so I at the time um me and my husband were dating and I was saying to him you know I think I want to I think I want to leave I think I want to leave my job and I want to have my own brand I've always said I want to have my own brand and I think this is kind of my opportunity to do this so I pretty much was just kind of right. I'm just going to do it. Wow. Yeah, this is this is it's in me now. I've said it. The words have come out of my mouth. I'm going to fulfill it. Yeah, you put in the universe. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd manifested it now, so it had yeah. to be done. <laughs> and um, I knew that I wanted to leave work as soon as I could, rather than you know staying there for the sake of staying there and then not performing in my job and then letting the guys down that I worked for. So I started with um, designing a range of statement necklaces because I always wore 
and everyone kind of knew me in the office as well for being quite loud with my you know with my accessories I'd always kind of you know been noted noticed from fashion and it was like what's the one thing that you know I absolutely adore and I'm, I'm constantly using to kind of mix up my looks and my outfits and it was you know statement necklaces and jewelry yeah. Yeah. that's the one thing you can kind of keep switching up without having to constantly change your outfits um so I designed a range of uh, necklaces and I think it was a couple of months in and I'd, I'd launched Delilah's dressing room. So, you know, setting up Instagram page, getting yeah. my website ready. And I built it all myself, all from scratch. And what year Looking, was this? Um, so this is 2015. Okay. Okay. Um, and my, luckily I had to, the the techie guys at work like helped me do a bit of the coding and then it was good that I was kind of in the technology um industry at this point because I had help and pointers from people too and they were great to be honest um so I did this um as a side thing to start with and so I was working on it outside of my normal work hours but then I found myself thinking about it 24 7 Mm. and it was pretty much just taking over my entire brain power and I was no longer focusing on anything else. Yeah. So I then made the decision that it was time to to leave, take the jump. And I just said to my husband, look, I might not make any money or I don't know how long. <laughs> so, you know, are you sure you're able to, you know, back me on this? And should I make this decision? And he was like, look, this is what you want to do. This is what your um, heart is telling you to. If this is what's going to make you happy, do it because then it was a case of I had to put my all into it. Otherwise it wouldn't go anywhere. And I, and I didn't have a job security to fall back onto either. So yeah, I did it. I took the plunge and it was about three months after I'd actually launched Delilah's dressing room. So, you know, there was momentum there. It was doing, it was doing well in sales, but I knew that there would be a dip, you know, once the excitement on a new brand has come was over. So then I had to just keep, you know, thinking outside the box like how can what 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 else is new that I can bring out and you know what else can I do that's creative and how do I bring my existing customers back to me again to buy from me again um you know and then I introduced handbags so I did started doing um cute accessories that matched and yeah it kind of expanded from there really so I started with women's jewelry and bags and then eventually kind of moved into menswear because I realized after quickly getting a lot of guys messages saying you should do men's you should do men's I was like I'd be silly not to listen to people if they're asking me to do it um and then when I was looking into it and having worked as a menswear designer previously you know there wasn't anywhere that provided accessories for men that were different that were priced reasonably like men's stuff is either really cheap or it's really expensive. Right. Right. And you only get a small range within stores. I always find. So this is obviously back that like in 2015, 2016. And I just felt like there just wasn't enough choice for men to shop with when it comes to accessories. Um, And especially for how you want to get them. Like I found like ranges were quite boring or flat um so I started doing very bright and wonderful um printed bow ties and ties and pocket squares and 
it was just something I just had like a passion for and I, I found myself kind of like loving creating the men's stuff and it was something that people hadn't seen or you know could purchase as well and you could also like choose the option of having it bespoke so however you wanted it to be so yeah. I really yeah. wanted to make a service whereby men don't have to try and find something to fit with their outfit they could have something whichever they wanted to like you know how whatever style to bring out their personality their characteristics who they are through their accessories um and it, and it went very well and that's how we, I, I then evolved on to doing children because a lot of then um men who had kids wanted to match their son or their daughter and it kind of evolved from there um especially with events and weddings so it meant that you know a husband and a wife or a brother and a sister or anyone in within the family could coordinate through their accessories yeah um and it just brings everyone together and it's all about inclusivity and you know how you want it to be rather than trying to find something that fits you wow that that is an amazing story do do you feel um i want to touch on a few things um when you decided to go all in on um delilah's dressing room did you have a sense of fear anxiety like when you put in your two weeks notice what was that like when you went jumped you know both feet into the deep end can you describe that moment to us yes and you just saying that now has actually brought the whole thing back i actually remember sitting down with my boss we went to starbucks and I sat on the sofa and I cried. <laughs> I fucking <laughs> cried. It was actually embarrassing. And it was, it was, I don't know. I had felt like weight was lifted. At the same time, I was scared. Um, because I knew that I didn't have the security of, you know, my salary coming in every month, mm. I guess. Um I'd been there for so long that I was, it was kind of like being part of a family. I felt like I was letting them down, even though it was to make me happier. Um, but at the same time, I was super excited that right now I finally just get to do me and be free and be my own boss and not answer to anybody else but myself. Um, so it was a very mixed bag of emotions, but yeah, I think that like the best thing to, the best way to describe it was I was just crying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, as you expanded the lines and as you created more, was there any sort of structure or how you thought about, okay, this is where I want to go next? Or did you just follow, scratch your own itch per se of, okay, I want to go do this or do that? Um, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, because like when you're, when you're creating a business like this, like, you know, as you create more products, you sometimes could potentially dilute, okay, this is what I was good at. And this is something that, you know, I'm, I'm trying out new. Did you ever think about that or did you... Just as things came to you, you just created it. Um, a bit of both, to be honest. So I always make a plan because it's good to, uh, I'm, I'm a list person, um, <laughs> a very big list person. I have lists within lists. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that person. Um, I'm also someone who um, writes things down and puts it in front of my face. So I tend to uh, plan out the year and have a structure of, you know, goals that I want to, I want to achieve and then at the same time, as a creative, like you can go into a creative overdrive sometimes and you, you can get carried away. And sometimes I do have to rein it in because you could go on forever and ever and ever. You know, I could bring out a different product every single day if I wanted to, because my, that's how my brain is constantly ticking. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
there's times where like I, I've designed something and then I don't know something might trigger me and then I'll, I'll evolve it into something else to go with it or you know make something completely different which I wasn't going to do initially but it looks better for example and I think you have to kind of give yourself the room to be able to do that as well as a creative because that's what fuels you like that's where my passion is um and that's what motivates me I guess because it's that fire within you that's just like a like you know I've done something new and I've created something and I'm just going to put it out there um, there's some things that I, I design and then I, you know, release and I'll just throw it out there just to kind of see what people's opinions are of it, but I might not necessarily release it as a, as a product to buy, for example. Right. Um, but I like doing things for me as well. So obviously this is not just business for me. It's not just my job that I go to. It's also like, you know, this, when people say like, what's your hobby? This is also my hobby. It's what I love. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. So it's, 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 it crosses over both and it is hard to sometimes kind of separate the two. Cause it, like you are uh, eponymous with the, the, the brand, right? The brand is you. So it's your job, it's your career, but it's also your soul as, and you know, part of you. So I can see it all tying together. Um, Sunny, I want to talk about, you know, a product that, that got a ton of buzz and you, you mentioned this and you've seen so many articles about this was the, the original beard and turban mask because of everything that's going on with COVID and you saw a need. I am so amazed and, 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 and just, can you tell us the background, the genesis of that and how that was created? Cause that was just an amazing story. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, and it's a story that's really close to me um, because it wasn't um, a product that was just made and put out there. This was something that was created for necessity. Mm-hmm. And it was basically because my father, so at the start of lockdown um, from the pandemic last year, so looking at like this time last year, um, my father-in-law, who is a Sikh man, who wears um, a turban and he has a long beard, um, he was working and at the time his work had provided him with the standard disposable face masks um, that they had to wear because you had to wear them at all times at work. Um, and he works in public services, so working with access buses. So these are buses for um, the elderly and disabled. Mm-hmm. And he has um, at times has to have physical contact to help these people as well. So he was really struggling um, at work because one, a normal face mask um, didn't go over his turban because his ears are covered. Right. Um, So he had to, he was using an additional, and I didn't know this till afterwards. And to be fair, at first it didn't really click. Um, And he was using an additional piece of string to hold the ear loops together over the top of his turban and his beard with it being long, even if he, you know, ties it up, um, was still kind of all hanging out of his face mask. And he just, he was uncomfortable. He didn't feel like he could, you know, function properly with it. It didn't look very attractive, you know, and he, he came to me and he was like, Sonny, um, 
I think like, can you design something or can you do something to make, you know, my, my whole face be covered, like my beard and something that can go over my turban because, you know, he has to wear it all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And this just wasn't working for him. So I was like, okay, this is quite cool. So it was at the start of the pandemic. So I was, you know, it was a little bit quiet at work anyway. And I was taking, I was taking a bit of a slower approach. I thought, okay, if the whole world is now like just spending time with their family, I'm going to do the same. And so I actually, at this time, had just signed for a brand new studio. So I'd actually moved from my home studio that I had to a now a city center location, which I was super excited about, but at yeah. the same time, could not believe that the pandemic hit at the exact same time of me signing Perfect for a new timing. studio. So I was like, this is great timing. Not, yeah. uh, but I'm glad that I actually did it because had I not had this studio, the, the next part of my story would never have happened. <laughs> so I um, actually went in and I just spent a day kind of like messing around with a normal face mask. So at the time I was already creating um, regular size uh, reusable face masks for my clients. And I was doing them in, you know, whichever bespoke and luxury fabrics that they wanted um, to have them in. So I just thought, right, okay, so we need to, you know, change the shape, change the functionality, make it inclusive. And I I made a couple of mock-ups and then I bought a mock-up home and I showed it, I gave it to my father-in-law and I'd never seen his face light up the way it did when I handed him this face. So what What I'd actually done. Well, yeah, it was great. I wish like this actual moment was like fully filmed, but you know, you don't (laughs) think about these things when you're actually in the moment. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought about his beard, obviously, and it was thinking about, you know, the functionality of how this was going to work and be easy to take on and off and also sit comfortably. So I created the face mask to be much longer than what a standard face mask. I'm going to try and describe it the best I can for you so you can envision it, um, whereby it also had a internal pocket so that your beard could sit in the pocket. Cause then I was thinking if it doesn't have a pocket and it flaps up, it's going to flap up into your face um, <laughs> with wind. Right. And then it's not, it's just, then it's just not a good, not a good design. And then the pocket actually holds your beard inside the mask neatly. Um, and it doesn't get ruined either. Um and it also has, rather than elastic loops, I used a cord, so a, like a drawstring cord, and had a toggle on the end. So you basically placed it over your head and then adjusted it to where you want at the back of your neck. Um, so it sat comfortably. I used organic cotton. Um, and the face mask was triple layered. And I sent him the mop and he tried it and he he took it for a test run for a day at work (laughs) and it worked amazingly. And he said to me, Sonny, this is brilliant. Like I'm, I feel comfortable now. He was confident with it, you know, and he felt like he could do do his job properly while he had to work through the, the pandemic. And I had posted a picture of what I had created and explained kind of, you know, the, a bit of a backstory of why I created it. Uh, because I like to share things with the community that I have on my, on my social media as well. And it just came to my attention very, very quickly that there was literally nothing out there for any of the Sikh community who were having the exact same problem. And so I realized that, okay, this is something that a lot of people need. But then I only just thought it was you know within the UK. 
And then um, very quickly started getting customers from America, um, even from Dallas even. <laughs> and, you know, I was seeing people popping up from, you know, in the world like Singapore and Malaysia and yeah. all these places. And I'm thinking, hold on a second. You're telling me there's literally like no yeah, like one that untapped market. Yeah. Like no is. one is helping or, you know, providing inclusive face masks for anyone else other than someone who can wear normal ear loops and a standard size face mask. Right. So First, I got uh, contacted by, I think it was B- yeah, BBC, who wanted to do an interview around um, you know, what, the creation that I had done. And as soon as that was aired, um, they actually, and this still to this day, like blows my mind, um, that how rapidly this, this actually happened. So they had aired it on the local channel and then the worldwide BBC were had basically said, we're also going to air it on the same day. So it got aired like through every news beat throughout the day. Um, and then it was very quickly kind of aired on world. And then after that, it was, I was literally <laughs> every, pretty much every day, like contacted by another news channel or a, a, a newspaper to, to give an interview about what I had done. Wow. And it was something that was just so kind of like happened so fast. And I was just in a whirlwind of like, I have no idea what's going on. Um, you know, I spent, I think maybe a whole month of just doing back to back radio and TV and, yeah. and um, newspaper interviews. And I felt like this was so out of my comfort zone because this is not, didn't expect any of this to happen. And, you know, I just created something that was needed for my father-in-law and then it just blew up. Isn't that amazing, right? It starts with a simple idea to help a need. And then once what people realize that it solves a need that they were looking for but couldn't find, wow, it was spread like wildfire. I, I'm curious to know, Sunny, like, did did you only create one design and it worked out so well or did you go through multiple iterations? Um, so I started with one design and then I just made like little tweaks with it and it was more around construction, um, of the actual design. And then after that, I made it a bespoke offering as well. So you could have it made however way you wanted. So I started getting clients, for example, who work in, um, a corporate environment that wanted them to match their suits, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, and then some clients who were, you know, from very hot climates who wanted a different fabric so that it was breathable, but very lightweight because of the weather uh, and how it changed. So I adapted the original mask to suit the customers as and where. And then I also did shorter versions. So I did a, a shorter one. Um, and then that was also a face mask that was usable for people who wore hearing aids so that was another thing that it came up it was like okay so people who wear hearing aids can't wear it normal ear loops because they like ping off so it was a case of it really got me thinking about functionality and inclusivity and it just changed my whole direction and the way my thought process worked when it came to products and I really now um I'm an advocate for making sure that 
every accessory is inclusive, that they have multi-way uses, you know, that you're trying to be as sustainable as possible, have like different ways to use things. Um, and, you know, you don't discriminate someone from from the collection either. So, That's yeah, it definitely kind of changed me as a designer. And it's crazy, right, how these seminal moments happen, which, which changes your like you don't think looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You see, oh, this is how it shifted. But probably when you were making it, you were just doing it for your father in law, doing it for one person, and now your whole design direction has changed because of this one product. How cool is that? Um, and I read an article or read in the in, in the bio that it's also being put in a museum. How neat! Like, <laughs> like, can, how did that come up? Um. Do you know what? It's it's crazy, isn't it? Like when when you now sit back and you talk about all these things, like and I, I try to absorb it and I'm just, you know. Yeah, so I was um contacted by the National Science Museum in in London who were who had come across this creation from doing research and they as obviously now with it being a global pandemic, it's going, it's part of history. And they were looking at collating um, evidence and, you know, things around COVID that they could uh, exhibit um, once the pandemic is over. Yeah. And naturally face mask was going to be included in that. And then because there was then articles around how, you know, face masks don't fit everybody. And, you know, I'd popped up as the designer who created the for minorities it was something that they were interested in highlighting how, you know, communities had to adapt and, you know, how minorities had to also look for options um, to stay safe during this time. And yeah, it was very fast then picked up from different museums. And now uh, it's, uh, it's housed in four different museums in the UK um on on permanent exhibition so it's something that's going to stay there forever that you know my son and his children and on and on and on for generations can you know learn about in history that you know this was something that was created to help the community funny that that is amazing and it must be make you so um you know we one of the things that 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 is very important to me is representation and representation in industries and you know endeavors that may not have that many south asians in it and the fact that you're in a museum for the posterity of time for for a design that you made personally that is just outstanding like that must be must make you feel so good and as a reputation to your family and your community yeah it's something that you know i can't even describe the feeling of what it's actually like you know i, I i've mentioned it before when i've spoken to other people it's like forget about the business yeah. forget about you know how, you know making profits and making money and forget about everything else this is this is specifically about being someone who has created a design now that has been put in a place of history um that people will be educated about and learning about you know Sikh culture and the minorities who who couldn't use standard protective equipment during a global pandemic like that in itself like when I sit and think about it just I I get lost for words because it's you know it was I never in a million years would have ever thought that that was a possibility that I you know as a designer would be recognized for do you know what I mean so it's it's 
you know, probably the biggest accomplishment I will ever, ever do in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that is just like probably hard to fathom. I want to also talk, Sunny, about the the other side. Like, you know, you've had so many highs and so many highlights in the past year, and they kept coming. Can you talk to us about the low moments or things where you you know potentially had to struggle and push yourself through? Because you know what we what I what I see is and what people see is sometimes what what people see on the outside and, and the successes. But can you tell us a little bit about the tough moments and how you got through them? Sure. Um, and we have a lot of those too. <laughs> so you can imagine, you know, running a small business. Um, so it started with just me. Um, it was me being the person who was designer, running the online store, running um, the social media, doing the marketing, doing geography. You know, you are the person that has every hat on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes over pretty much all your day, all your time, everything. Um, you know, it's my baby. So naturally I was going to put all my effort into it anyway, but it was a case of it, it's hard. It's definitely hard work, um, you know, managing everything. And then also I, I fell pregnant and had a child in the mix as well. <laughs> that kind of made things also a lot more difficult. Um, but I was that person that um, worked all the way up until the day I went into labor. Wow. Um and then I went back to work two weeks later. So you can probably tell I am a workaholic, uh, but I do try to take breaks as much as I can now. And I have started to take a step back. And that's only because, you know, I've spent years of grafting all the hours possible to to now be in a position where I, I do have help and I do have staff now, um, you know, to be able to manage the tasks that do not require me personally to do. Right. So I think one of the... Um, so I, I help other small businesses as well as as part of Delilah's dressing room. And one of the things that I, I always advocate is you don't have to personally do every single thing. So, you know, there are other very skilled people that can probably do something the same, if not better than you can. Um, and if if it's like mundane, like, like tasks like admin or, you know, post office runs, for example, and deliveries, you know, you can delegate out and it's really hard when it's a small business because you become so protective over it. Right. Right. Um, and it's about being able to let, let go little bit by little bit. And, you know, initially last year, when I, when I, when I did create this design, it was just me. And within the space of, I think it was four days, I had to get another site, have a manufacturing team set up, get an assistant, get package pack, packers couldn't get my words out there um you know and build an entire team within a week wow. to be able to fulfill the demand that then came through the website because there was no way possible that I would have been able to do everybody's orders myself they all had to be manufactured I would have been still sewing now (laughs) (laughs) um so that in itself was a learning like behind the scenes I was like losing the plot um you know people don't see I guess you see the prettiness from the outside and you know you see the pretty pictures you see the products and you know the nice marketing reels and you know you don't see how rough it can actually look behind the scenes um and I think you know that's something that you know we are starting to share a lot more of and you probably noticed it as well you know small businesses are really showing kind of this is what we do behind the scenes for you to see what you do at the front right um yeah and it's 
just don't be afraid to ask for help, I guess, is yeah. probably my point. <laughs> and I think that that is just so important. Sana, and thank you for uh, for underlining or highlighting that is, you know, you, 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 when even it's your baby and, and you're trying to create something, it's okay to ask for help, like you said, but it's, it's okay to take time for yourself as well. And seeing that side of businesses, I think is so important to people who just see the veneer of things outside and they want to also know how the sausage is made on the inside. And, and I think you just become, and your business become just more real. Like, oh, wow. They have the, the great points and they have the tough, the, the tough points too. So that's amazing that you're, you're sharing that. Um, so before we go to the rapid fire questions, can you give us a peek under the hood of what's next for you? Like, where are you wanting to take this Delilah's dressing room in the next year or so? Um, so as you know already, I'm an online business. Um, so I have a studio and a workshop, but I don't have a store. And it was kind of a conscious, conscious, can't get my out now, conscious decision um, to not have a physical store. Um, to start with one because the cost and the overheads and everything that comes along with it are just so high Um, and this way you know I'm I'm catering for clients that can be based anywhere Um, is I'm starting to do pop-ups within um, larger retail stores Um, so I'll be doing concessions and my I would like to do that more so how what I'm going to be doing is taking Delilah on tour um, over the next year. So I'll be popping up in different cities around the UK. Wow. And so people can actually come and physically see and feel and, you know, see the products for what they are as well as just online. I think it is very like, you know, as people, we do love to shop online, but we do love to touch fabrics and textures totally, and totally. we like to see things and I think it would be a great way for also for me to connect with customers um, and meet the people that actually, you know, shop online at Delilah's dressing room. Um, So yeah, the aim is to be in um, retailers as a concession so that they're accessible around the UK to begin with. And then who knows could venture abroad after that. So I'm not going to stop the goal here because I like to dream high. Yeah. but yes, yeah, so th- that's the uh, the goal over the next year. Well, that's great, and I hope maybe one day you have a pop up store here in 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 Texas in Dallas. I'd, I'll be your first customer. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> that's wonderful. That that is so cool. Can't wait to to see how that 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 works out. Thank you. Okay, great. So let's move on to our rapid fire questions. And as I mentioned, these are questions that we've asked all our guests and had some truly great responses. So I'm so excited to hear, Sunny, what you have to say. So the first question is, is there an item or service that you have recently bought that has dramatically improved your life? It can be big or small. Anything that you've bought recently that that, that has been a big impact on you? Um, okay. So my recent purchases have actually been more health and lifestyle products. Okay. Um, so I've recently, and this is probably also because of stress and everything else, was losing a lot of hair, um, for my head. And so I have recently purchased loads of specific food supplements and, um, hair oils, and that has dramatically changed um, my life over the past two weeks because obviously I am seeing a 
a huge improvement of things getting better. So yeah, that's from having uh, biotin vitamins on all max strength things. So I have a nice cocktail of vitamins now. Yeah, could you share what you what you've been taking or what what, what you? Yeah, buying? so um, I've been taking um, biotin and high strength vitamin D. Um, black seed oil, which I have a spoon of every morning. Um, I've got a, I've got castor oil and I have my, um, I have this hair oil, which is a mix of everything, which is, um, by a brand called Gershi, which is another South Asian business actually. Um, and from UK that has created ancient, um, an ancient recipe to help hair. Um, and a shampoo and a conditioner, which I've now changed to, which is better for me, which I can't think of the name right now. But all of these things together have definitely helped. Wow. You've, you've got your own uh, Delilah's Pharmacy. <laughs> yeah, I really do. I mean, I usually do take vitamins, but not specific ones. I usually have multivits, but obviously the dose in them aren't high enough for what I need. So Good, good, great. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad uh, everything is working out. I feel I was the same way as... I started my cocktail and, and, you know, when you're in the pandemic, things start to break down a little bit easier, right? When you're, when you're not uh, active and all, all out and about. And so self-care has been such a big thing that we've heard, not only from other guests, but for me as well, focusing on that. Thank you for sharing. Um, okay. Next question is when you think of a South Asian person you, you look up to in your field, so in design, in fashion, in creative arts, who would you say comes to mind and why? Um, okay, I'm going to go fashion designer and she's South Asian, but she's actually Afro South Asian. Um, so it's a designer called Masaba. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because she always breaks barriers. Um, she is not afraid to be who she is and express who she is through her clothing. Um, and she's very bold and I just like her creative energy because she just she's so free with what she does and you know her clothing range really kind of speaks to me and her accessories do it's all about it's it highlights culture but it, it includes you know the modern way that we live um, you know and everything that's going on around us but it's true to who she is. And I think that that really stands out through her business and it influences me because it always makes me remember to stay true to who I am and make sure that the brand always reflects me and not anyone else. That is amazing. Yeah. I will definitely check her out. And I think, you know, when you find people, as you said, who breaks barriers, it is so inspiring, right? It gives you the strength to keep going, especially as we talked about in the low moments, to say, oh, if she can do it or he can do it, man, I can do it too. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. So that's Everybody great. has it within themselves. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. Okay, next question, Sunny, is what is a movie or book that has had the most impact on you? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Okay, so, I mean, I do... I watch and read both a lot <laughs> so um I mean I actually have really got into audibles now I don't know if you like audibles yes. yep. uh, obviously naturally you would um 
One that I recently finished was by an author, Farrah Storr. Um, she's actually the editor of um, UKL magazine. And she had a book called The Discom- Discomfort Zone. And the whole book um, is based around exploring your discomforts. So it's basically gives you an insight in like human nature and, you know, why we shy away from things that are outside of our comfort zone and how you should go into your discomfort zone, um, the different areas so that you're actually able to grow and improve and, and, and know kind of like where your full potential is. Because a lot of people, when they know that something doesn't make them feel comfortable, you shy away from wanting to go there, don't you? Right. Um, and she really kind of like touches on how you should really push yourself to always go into the discomfort zones because that's what makes you who you are and develops you as you know personal growth as well as you know business and everything else included. That's 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 amazing, and I think you know for me, what I find are things that look daunting. The, the reason why it's daunting is what the story I spin in my head, and always have to tell myself is Samir. Take the first step. No matter how small it is, just take the first step. Movement is progress. Progress is happiness. And so exploring your discomfort by, for me, just taking the first step usually allows me to, you know, keep things going and start something I've always pushed off or I, uh, you know, dread to start. So that, that I think that is such a great place to go is exploring your discomfort. We'll, we'll definitely check that out. Um, great. Okay, I love this question. I'm excited to hear your response. Is um, what advice would you give to an up and coming South Asian person who's interested in fashion design, starting their business, entrepreneurship? What advice would you give them, and why? Ooh, um, okay, so I, I know I've just literally t- touched on this, um, but it is to stay true to what you believe in. Um, and who you are as a designer uh, and as an entrepreneur, because only then will something become successful because you truly, you know, you're, you're driving the passion that you have within you. And that's the reason for why you have started doing or pursuing what you are. Right. Right. Um, and it, it's very easy to kind of fall into traps whereby you see other things around you that are you know doing very well and being successful and thinking, oh, I can, you know, maybe include that or jump on that bandwagon, for example. And, you know, it's it's not who you are. Um so I I would just say, you know, if you have your niche and you truly believe in what you are putting out into the world, you will always be successful because you will continuously want to see your baby grow in that sense. Oh, that's wonderful. It was is there any as you were going through your journey um, to to develop your your business and and in your uh, you know your passion? Was there any resources that you used that were particularly helpful? Sorry, can you say that again? Were there any resources or like books or 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 re- things that you just refer to to help you set things up? Like I know you're talking about how you got some coding help from your from your colleagues, but was there anything else that that was a re- that was a, a good resource for you or helped you get started? We, um, I actually referred back to a lot of stuff that I did during my masters, okay, uh, and what I did at university because. 
I actually took a module which was um, fashion marketing and business. And, and I did a concept where I created a brand from scratch uh, and it was learning about how how you implement and what to do in order to get that brand off the ground. And it's really weird. It's like I manifested it so far back <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. I'd already built a full plan that I you know, had all the resources there, which helped me. And it was a case of digging back and it just clicked that, oh, wait a minute, I've already created an entire project around this. So I actually referred back to um, yeah what I studied. And, and then again, I also, you know, I used Google for a lot of things. Um, you know, I asked questions, you know, some things were just really simple. You know, right. back when I first initially started, I didn't have an accountant, for example. Um, so I, I also look for advice resources i used my family members as much as i could um initially so i had a great support network in that sense and my dad was a great great help because he's someone who is in business and has run his own business from since before i was born so he was a massive help for me because i've always been around kind of you know family business and seeing how it's run and what you have to put into it so yeah, yeah you're right use the network that you have, right? And some of it is built into your own family. <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay, um, Sunny, any final ask for the audience? Anything you'd like to leave them with before we close? Um, I think I would like to leave it with, you know, do what makes you happy and what's good for your soul. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, we don't leave this world with anything. So, and we didn't come into it with anything. We are just living for, you know, for today, really. So I, I always just try to make sure that every single day I do something that makes me happy. So even if I'm having a bad day, just something little that you, you know, you can just refer back to is like, oh, well, that gave me a smile today and just like right. jot it down at the end of the day and then leave your evening feeling good that something did make you happy on that day. Um, you know, just do what makes you comfortable, do what makes you happy and, you know, pursue your dreams. If you've got something that's niggling away at you and you really want to do it, do it. Like, don't hold back. Like, honestly, the amount of people that I speak to that's like, oh, I really want to start this or I wish I could do it. And there's nothing holding them back apart from the fear of failure. And I just think like, well, you don't know until you try it. So you can't fail. And you can't win if you don't do anything. Yeah. Um, so just go for it. Love it. Love that so much. Um, Sunny, this has been amazing. I am like so energized and excited and, and it, I cannot, cannot wait to help spread the word. Where, where can people find you online or if people are interested in learning more, where, where can they find you? Sure. So the my website is delilasdressingroom.com, um, where you can have a look at accessories for men, women and children and bespoke services, too. And on social media, you can find um, me at my, my personal account is Sunny Delilah. And then my business is Delilah's Dressing Room, which is the same across all social media platforms. Awesome. Yes, we will absolutely link to, to, to all that. Sunny, thank you so much for everything you do for this conversation, for for the for the inclusive design that you've done and now continue to do. It's just so much good stuff. 
cannot wait to see how much you grow and hope everyone listening if you're in the UK go to her pop-up shops when they come up and uh and 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 pass on any uh, high fives or hugs that you can from all the way in the US. <laughs> oh no, thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it's been so nice talking to you. Um and it's great to connect from, you know, across the seas. Yes, yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out southasianstoriespodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's southasianstoriespodcast.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.